Hello and welcome to Friday Formula, a weekly motorsport podcast where this week we're changing our shoes, putting up the bumpers and going bowling as we look back over the 2021 Hungarian Grand Prix. I'm Owen Bellwood and as always I'm joined by Will Longman. How are you this week, Will? I 100% believe you have the sides up when you go bowling. Oh yeah, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm right, but I had like the weirdest dream on Sunday afternoon, I must have fallen asleep in front of the TV between like two and four o'clock because I dreamt that Esteban Ocon won the Hungarian Grand Prix. It, it was the kind of thing dreams are made of, but I can confirm you were not dreaming. That Mental. did happen. It I, was mad, wasn't it? I thought we were going to have like a quiet, I think we were both just saying we we're going to have a quiet show to kind of end the first 21 episodes and have a, you know, a little summer break or whatever. It's the it's the best race I've watched in like four years, I think. Yeah, and it wasn't even like we've had a few races this year where it's been crazy at one point, and then there's been a bit of a lull. There was like action in the first lap, bit of action later on, some tussles with some back markers, yeah. action up the front, action down the middle. That's I think going we had like what this season has de- delivered is a lot of moments that like have never happened and you almost could never recalled and you had that in the first half the first half was first half of this race was mental but in the second half you just had brilliant racing yeah and it's kind of what i hope next season is going to be like because it was absolutely epic yeah there's been a few like flashes of really nice close racing but to even see mick schumacher getting in on the close racing at points. It was it was the kind of thing dreams were made of. It was just it was just fantastic. I mean let's let's yeah. let's just start talking about it because there's so much to unpack. Yeah, so going into the race day, it was all dry and calm and the drivers made their way from the pits to the grid and then it started raining. And that's when everyone knew that we were on for a blinder, I think. Oh, yeah. Because usually, if it's going to rain, it's like rain for quite a bit before, so drivers have seen how wet the track is. But I think because the first taste of the rain that they got was the parade lap, they kind of didn't hadn't had a chance to really figure out where breaking points were, what was going to happen, how much grip they'd have. No, and it's it's quite an undulating circuit. But also, it's so hot in Hungary this time of year that it's just completely unpredictable on, like, if the sun is shining over in the other side of the circuit, it could be completely different conditions to what you've got on the grid. Yeah, yeah. And so the cars went out on a parade lap, and at this point I thought it was a bit bold that Giovinazzi came in, switched to slicks, everyone else lined up on the grid, lights out, away we go. And... It basically all went wrong for Bottas from that point on, didn't it? So he had a very slow start off the line. He lost places to Max Verstappen, who qualified third, Sergio Perez, who was in fourth, and Lando Norris, who was sixth. They basically all made it past him. But then as he was going into the first corner, he I don't know if he locked up or missed his breaking point. He slammed into the back of Lando Norris who then crashed into the side of Max Verstappen while Bottas 
spun into the side of Sergio Perez. And while all that was going on, Lance Stroll locked his tyres, tried to avoid Esteban Ocon, hit Charles Leclerc, who then hit Daniel Ricciardo. While Lewis Hamilton was already up on like turn seven. (laughs) (laughs) And Joe Vinazzi joins the pack five minutes later, like, what's going on, guys? (laughs) (laughs) Were you expected anything as mad as that no i was i was expecting a bit of carnage i mean the last like we had a wet race at imola but the last time we had some opening lap opening lap drama was turkey last year where i think Mm -hmm. bottas again tangled with ricardo at turn one but this was just a different level i don't i don't know what happened i don't really remember seeing the first first lap collision that impacted so many drivers race and so many of the top drivers yeah because so after the crash initially we lost Bottas, Perez, Stroll and Leclerc they were all out then the race got red flagged the cars all came into the pits and after a kind of evaluation of Lando's car he retired as well and he's the one that's already got his reputation for sweeping up podiums so then you were like well, who's going to go out on top now? Because at this point, I mean, you've got Lewis in the lead. Uh, and I think Ocon was second by this point, wasn't he? Yeah, yes. Because what seemed to happen was every driver that got a bad start didn't get involved. So no. Vettel also got a terrible start and was able to just slow down because he had so much more braking time. And then they just kind of drove just drove past everyone. Yeah. and. They were very lucky. All the all the cars that got decent starts, like Lando and Perez, actually, uh, Leclerc as well got past Stroll, I think, pretty quick, quickly. They ended up paying the price for it, which was a real shame. Yeah, like you mentioned the onboards there. I think it is Ocon's, where you sort of see him coming to the corner. No, you see him coming up to the corner, the front runners all get taken out, and then he starts going around the corner, and then suddenly Leclerc's in front of him, and he has yeah. to kind of turn out the way, and then the only car ahead of him is Hamilton, and that's him in second, where he stayed for only like a lap, I think. Yeah. The, one of the saddest onboards I think I've ever seen is Daniel Ricciardo's, because mm. he gets a decent start, he's staying out of trouble, and he literally says he sees the... He said this in his kind of post-race analysis with McLaren, he sees the track kind of open up, and he's like, I'm in second. Yeah. And then he just gets clipped from behind and spun round, and I can. Comp- he was so frustrated. Yeah, I don't know if you saw him the, in Park Fermi getting out of the car. He just like had to hang his head because these are the races that like if that first crash happened, you'd put your money on like Ricardo Leclerc to be picking up the points in that situation. Yeah, and I think I don't think when you initially watched the crash, you kind of appreciate how much damage Ricardo would have sustained, but kind of the way Leclerc hit him was quite similar to how Norris hit Verstappen. It was like right into the side, yeah. hit a bit of the engine cover, hit the floor. So he'd have lost all of his kind of aerodynamic devices down the right-hand side as well. Maybe not to the same extent as Max, but he's in a slower car than Max. So it was pretty heartbreaking to just see him kind of have this golden opportunity snatched away by a career in Ferrari. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think I was more upset about Ricardo losing so much pace than I was about like Lando being knocked out. Mm. It's a shame for Lando, but he's been like on such good form. This was something that Ricardo could have really done with for his McLaren yeah. career. Yeah. Um, but then the whole like the whole Bottas thing, I just find it hilarious. I like the whole thing is just so funny. It, it had to be Bottas. He had yes. to take out the two Red Bulls. It had to be his fault. Like it's just it's it's a classic crash. Yeah, and it was how it kind of how the crash evolved because it started and you're like, oh no, he's hit Lando, and then it was, oh no, Lando's hit Max. Oh no, Bottas has hit Perez. <laughs> there were sort of like shocking elements as it went on, and because like the race starts at like nine a.m. over here. So my partner was still a, still asleep, and I'd got up to start watching it. And I was like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> literally, she came running out like, "What's happened?" <laughs> literally, I had lunch with my mum and stepdad, and I put the race on, and they were washing up. And I, I literally went, "Oh no, oh no, oh no!" And like my stepdad came rushing in and like saw what had happened and just the carnage that had happened because they don't watch Formula One hmm. unless like they only enjoy it if there's like some good safety car periods and it gets a bit mixed up. Um, and the only other race I've watched with them this year is Baku. So every couple of months, I'm just going to go over there and we're going to have an absolute banger of a race. <laughs> yeah, you just got to get them to watch a few more, I reckon. See what happens. Yes. <laughs> um, so after after the crash, we've had those five, five drivers out by this point. The race got red flagged. Everyone went back into the pits. And by this point, you're thinking, Williams points. Well, that's the first thing I was thinking. You are, because Latifi got up to like sixth, I think, didn't he? At the, at the end of the melee. So all the cars went into the pits. Session got red flagged. We had like half an hour or so of waiting around. And then we got underway again. Everyone, so while Giovinazzi had changed onto slicks before the start of the race, everyone went out again on intermediates. But am I right that they could have put on whatever tyres they'd wanted at that point? Yes. Because it's okay. basically, it's classed as a pit stop. Mm-hmm. So they can do any work to the car that they want to. They okay. could they could change the rear wing if they had time. So there'd been like a fair few repair jobs and then everyone went out on intermediate tyres, did the parade lap, had to then line up on the grid again for the restart. But everyone except Lewis Hamilton went into the pits to change onto slicks which meant we had this very surreal image of Lewis Hamilton on pole position, the medical car behind him, and Crofty shouting, lights out, away we go. And then Lewis Hamilton just setting off. It was very bizarre, and I feel like it was some kind of metaphor for the last five years. I absolutely could not stop laughing my head off. (laughs) Because it it was just so funny, wasn't it? Yeah. And also, like we said about Bottas, it had to be Hamilton, like at the front of the grid with no one else. Like if it was, I don't know, Latifi, it would not have been half as funny. But because it's Lewis Hamilton, it was just hysterical. But like, imagine if Giovinazzi had stayed on his slicks and then he'd been the only one to start the race. Yeah. He'd have led at least one lap. And also, if that had been the case, 
would he have had to line up on like the 10th spot? Yeah. Or would he have been able to go to the front? No, because they put little light panels where their uh, their marker is. He's still starting from that position. But it doesn't really matter because they've got to wait a certain amount of time after he passes the pit lane yeah. to, to let everyone through. I mean, that would have been the funniest thing as well. What would have happened if Lewis Hamilton had have pitted with everyone else? Did did the directors of F1 do the whole like countdown <laughs> sequence? Does Crofty say lights out and away we go? Like, And there's just no one there. Just, just the medical car. <laughs> I, I would have loved to see that, but I still don't think it would have been quite as funny as just Lewis Hamilton there by himself. No, not at all. And it's I quite like it because there was the was it like the two thousand and three or two thousand and five US Grand Prix where mm. they only had six runners, and that was yeah. funny, but also it was really disappointing. But it's a funny image. This is just like it's just funny. Yeah, it's it's one of the best sporting images of the season. Yeah, and I like that with the commentary, you got sort of two excited moments from Crofty because you got his lights out where we go for Lewis. Lewis went up, went past the pit exit, and then he was like, and here comes everyone else! Ah, you should have... Uh, I'll try and send you Alex Jakes' commentary because he's like, it's lights out. I don't know, he's lights out for Lewis Hamilton only or something something and then he's like this is the most extraordinary start and George Russell's in P2 yeah that is the uh, the next point I've got for us to come on to is George Russell how oh. how far did your heart sink when you saw him go from second to seventh I had a feeling I was like 80% I thought he'd cut his car had broken and 20% thought that he'd done something naughty which he evidently did he yeah so he jumped to basically the front of the pit exit after he changed his tires so then he was in the front for the restart and he kind of passed six people or something but if you watch his like drive out of the pit there's nowhere for him to go no so this is the thing i do think that um latifi was further down the order when they went into the pits hmm but because, so I think he was behind like the likes of Ferrari, uh, Carlos Sainz. Okay. But because their pit box is at the end, when he goes into the box, it's less likely that he's got to wait for another car to go past. Whereas if you're Lewis Hamilton and you come into the pit box first, you're not going to get released safely if you've got the other 10 cars coming down. So you're actually more likely to lose a load of positions whereas Williams are likely to pick up a load of positions. That's true. Well, they, and they haven't got to wait for anyone to come in in front of them. So for Russell, he could have been patient and just like, like when you get to a junction, just stick his nose in and pick up a load of positions in the queue. But I mean, because like, obviously Latifi boxed first, changed his tires, got out, and then George came in. But should he have just waited in the box? Because like no. by this point, the pit lane was full of cars. So where well, have you gone? There are two lanes in the pit lane, aren't there? Okay. I think there are like there's enough room for two cars, just. Mm. So what he, he could have done is just waited at like an angle to get into the queue, and then as soon as the space came, just beat the other car to it and, and get in front. But I, I have to say, what I what he did, I, I thought was genius. So what, what he did... Is did you watch any of practice? No. 
No, I didn't watch he, any practice this time. At the end of the pit lane, there are essentially two lanes. The left-hand lane is just the lane for going straight through. Or there's a space on the right-hand side of the pit exit where you do practice starts. Okay. And so you wait for everyone to pass, and if you can then do a practice start and get out, you get out. And that's all he did. He basically did a practice start and got past Ocon. Mm. I just, I think it's genius. I, I think he should have stayed where he was and appealed it. I know no, it's not worth the risk. It's not worth the risk for Williams. It would have been horrible. Yeah, but we'd be we'd basically just like copy and paste our podcast from last week on Lucas Degrassi at the Formula E, and that's true. We did bang. want pit lane madness, and we got it. I know. I'm going to come on to another bit of pit lane madness, which was where we lost our sixth driver. Yeah, which was when Alfa Romeo's Kimi Raikkonen had an unsafe release, crashed into the front of yeah. The back of Kimi crashed into the front of Nikita Mazepin, yeah. broke his suspension there and then. Completely not Mazepin's fault, completely yeah. not um, Kimi's fault either. Um, but that's, you know, this is the drama that I was just kind of talking about with Williams. Williams don't have any of that, apart from mm. Haas behind them. Because if Nikita came in, Mick wasn't out of the box when Nikita came in. Yeah. So if Nikita had been like two seconds early... Kimmy would have lost a load of positions because he can't get out because Mazepin's there. Yeah, all this drama and the race hadn't even started for the second time. I know. Yeah, it's mad. I did think it was a bit of a shame for Mazepin because he obviously hadn't really done anything wrong, and like as we saw with Mick later in the race, it was like the only chance that team's going to get to race against other people. Yeah. So while I don't really like Nikita Mazepin, he could have done with that experience of racing some other people. Yeah. And then with the team so strapped for cash, like Gunther Steiner said over the weekend, something about they're really struggling with all the crashes that both drivers are having. And this was just yes. another one that wasn't remotely their fault. And now they've got to pick up the bill. Well, that I mean, that's a whole other topic, isn't it? It's what Red Bull have been talking about. At the moment, uh, after the past two races, like if you're part of a crash where another driver gets a penalty, it's not really fair that you pay the price for it. Yeah, Ferrari have said the same because Charles is going to need a new engine after his crash with Stroll. Yeah. So, is there a way to get the other teams in a budget cap era? Is there a way to get the other teams to foot the bill? But I do. Even for that, like. It's not fair if you put a brand new engine in your car and because a crash someone else gets a penalty for, you have to get a penalty later in the year because you've used too many engines. Yeah. I can appreciate that that doesn't seem fair. I don't think getting other people to pay for the repairs is like any reasonable way to solve yeah. this. Because there's always going to be ways for engineers and I don't know, I guess accountants maybe to find loopholes and be like, oh yeah, we broke this piece too. Yeah. And then you'll get then... teams like if a Haas crashes into a, uh, there's a Twitter spaces thing called Racing Spaces where they talk about motorsport and they were talking about this last night and they said that it, the difference with Formula One, why this would never work is that if a Haas crashes into a McLaren, uh, Mercedes and breaks like a steering column or something. Mm -hmm. A Mercedes steering column is probably a lot more expensive than a Haas steering column. 
That's a good point. So Haas are then having to pay for something that they wouldn't normally afford. Yeah. I thought that was quite an interesting like consideration that I hadn't thought of before. Yeah. I kind of assume that everyone spends the same amount on parts, but they really don't because well, everyone's got such varying budgets. Maybe if there's like an insurance scheme or something where all the teams pay X amount hmm. and you get a payout if you break X component. And then it, it's not going to cover the whole cost, but at least it helps somewhat. Yeah. Yeah. But then as, pe- as teams are becoming more budget conscious, do you think, like, how much do you have to budget for crashes? Like, do you have to assess your drivers on whether or not they're likely to crash? Yeah. On how you pick them. Maybe there's it's got to be, be some weird. some leniency in the uh, in the rules for that then. Yeah. I know you say like you can maybe fiddle it a little bit so that if you want to get some new parts, you can you can essentially commit insurance fraud is what we're saying. <laughs> but um, you know the FAA have ways to scrutinise it, don't they? And and yeah. keep the cars in you know park Fermi conditions and stuff. So I'm sure they can yeah. find a way around this. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So Haas ended up with another repair bill. Kimi got back out on track. Uh, he was handed a 10-second penalty, I think, wasn't he, for that? Yeah, which is odd, because sometimes they get time penalties and sometimes they get cash penalties against the team. Hmm. If it's not Kimmy's fault, then they normally get, like... If it's not the driver's fault, they normally get a cash penalty. So it was odd for them to get a time penalty, but, I mean, it's an easy way to clear it up during the race, which I think yeah. is fine. Yeah. 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 So, back into racing. Yes. So... Nicholas Latifi did push his way up into third once Hamilton came off and did... Well, he pitted, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, dropped right down to the bottom. Which, he was surprised he was last? I don't really understand... I don't understand how he was surprised by that. Yeah, everyone... Maybe, unless I guess maybe he didn't know everyone else stopped already. But surely he'd have seen no one in his mirrors when he was on the grid by himself. Yeah, I, I think know. he did. It looked like he was, when he started, was like weaving to warm his tyres up. But it also looked like he was kind of moving over to defend from anyone that might have been there. Like <laughs> there was a car in his blind spot or something. Maybe it's just like force of habit. And it's like, I've got to defend. <laughs> veer into Max, just veer into Max. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so he saw sense. I mean, he must have thought that he couldn't communicate with his team on the on the in-lap, the out-lap before the start, didn't he? So after the race started, they said, come in and get some new tyres like everyone else did, please. Yeah, but that's the rule. They're not allowed to say it. No. The drivers, the drivers can say, I'm coming in, but they can't say, should I come in? That is the rule on the formation lap. But after the red flag, it wasn't the formation lap. It was lap four. Oh, I didn't realise that. Yeah, so, so they can... doesn't stand anymore. There was someone on Reddit did a load of the um, communications, like who got told to come in, who didn't. Um, and it looked like a lot of the teams told them to box, but some of them just didn't say anything because they thought it the rules had applied, but it, it didn't. Wasn't allowed. It, it's technically a racing lap. I see. So that, that move did really work out well for people like Nicholas Latifi, like you mentioned. And it was at this point that we got George's first heartbreaking radio message of the race. 
when he came over and was like, prioritize Nikki's race, make me box early, compromise mine, just prioritize Nikki. And I was like, George. That's brilliant. I don't think that was heartbreaking. I thought that was like valiant. No, it was. But then in the back of my mind, I was like, after all this, George, George. isn't going to get points. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that'd have been gutting. But to be honest, if they did, I mean, they did prioritize him. Latifi might have dropped out of the points if they hadn't done that because he got very close to George at the end of the race, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he was only sort of like a second or two ahead, I think. Yeah. By the end. Because um, he started off making his Williams very wide and holding on to the position for quite a few laps, but then he did slowly start to lose out. Like, People like Sainz, Gasly, and Sonoda, I think it was, that made it past him. But the real benefit to him doing that for the course of the race was that there was like a second gap. I think Sonoda was behind him at one point. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he pulled off a second of Sonoda. Sonoda was getting in the DRS, fine. But Vettel and Ocon were just flying off in the distance. And Latifi was essentially creating this buffer between those two and the rest of the pack. And had that not have happened... I think Hamilton would have caught them. Yeah, yeah. I was quite shocked to see that as well because we're so used to seeing Max and Lewis fly off ahead and have like a 15-second gap to whoever's behind them. But I always assumed that was like just because they were so much faster. Mm -hmm. But it kind of all depends on the race pace and even like two cars are considerably slower than like respectively slower, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Even they can still do it. And you still end up with this kind of split pack where you've got front runners and then everyone else. Yeah. So in such a mad race, I wasn't expecting to see that to the same extent. When was the point where you genuinely believed Ocon and Vettel were going to win? Because we've had so many crazy races like this that sometimes I was watching it thinking, I think they're just fighting for third. Like at the end of all of this, the order of the world is going to prevail and Lewis Hamilton is going to win this race and somehow Max Verstappen is going to come second. You still thought Verstappen was going to make it up? No, not necessarily, but like, it's the way that, that like these seasons go sometimes. These races where every, you have certain cars that are so much faster. Obviously, Verstappen mm. has so much damage. But I thought it was maybe, okay, maybe more likely that like the Ferrari was going to get them than the slower Alpine and Aston Martin. Yeah, I was kind of surprised that Carlos didn't end up higher up than he did. I thought he was going to fight his way onto the podium. But he was there calling out the strategy, saying, we're going to get passed by Lewis later on, he's going to pit again. Which I was quite surprised by. I'm not, because what what do they do at Ferrari? Charles does this all the... He did it last year, didn't he? And then he had his like strategy struggles with Vettel the year before where they didn't know mm. what they were doing. They're, they're, it just annoys me so yeah. much. I don't understand why every other team could be so on it with strategy and figure out ways to make it work. Like Mercedes switched to doing the two-stop and that's what meant Lewis made it past Max and Ricardo because he undercut them. So why aren't Ferrari making these kind of calls? and doing tactical stops, why are they just being like, we'll make one stop in every race, 
Yeah. That is our strategy. <laughs> Especially because they're in such a big battle with McLaren at the moment that they need... Yeah. It, it looks like uh, some races they can't do it on pace. So they need to put out some tricks. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, but to answer your question, when did I think they could win? I think it was the point Lewis went in the stop, one of his second stops, I think it was. I was like, he's going to drop quite far back. It's going to be quicker, but I think one of them might still win it. Yeah. I did kind of think Lewis would come second, though. But she did. Well. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> and I think one more. As far left. as my notes for this episode go, he did not. <laughs> One one more lap and he would have because he was so much faster. Yeah. At one point, he was like four seconds a lap faster than Ocon. Yeah, yeah, crazy, like changed, crazy numbers. When he changed onto his new set of mediums, I think it was like the lap before had been the quickest, and it was like a one twenty, and then the next one was like a one eighteen. Yeah, and I I think it's the first time I've like seen the tire difference so clearly. Yeah, but because. Lewis was so far back. It meant we got to see him racing through the pack. And he charged his way through, but then hit the blockade that was two-time world champion Fernando Alonso. What did you think to that? Pleasantly surprised. I mean, it was was epic. Epic racing. Very impressed that in a slower car with worse tyres, it just shows that, A, A, Alonso still got it. We've not really seen that this season, but he's still got it. And B, how much having the right driver in the car really does matter. It's not just about what the car is. Yeah, because the way Alonso was able to like tweak his lines on the second and third corners, I think it was, was where most of the moves that Lewis were making were he could like just go a little bit wider and still come out up front, a little bit sharper and still be out, take the outside line, the inside line. He was able to block wherever he needed to be. Mm. It seemed like every lap they came round, the two of them did a different line through those corners just because they were trying to find a little, little chink that they could exploit. But it was some of the best racing I've seen in ages. It was some of the best racing since lap like 14 when Mick Schumacher and Max Verstappen <laughs> were going wheel to wheel. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> Although I don't think either of them... They didn't... Lewis and Alonso, I don't think they like touched wheels at any point, did no, they? No, it was very Mick clean. Max had a little... Yeah, little shunt. little scuffle. But yeah, thor- thoroughly impressed with Alonso. And I mean... The win is his as much as it is Ocon's because it would not have happened if he hadn't have done that. Yeah, and he the, held Lewis up for so long. Given, I think Ocon touched on this a lot, and he said, I heard a lot of things about Fernando Alonso as a teammate. And I think Alonso's time in Formula 1 after he was a world champion was not very good with his first in at McLaren with Lewis Hamilton. He was not a good mm-hmm. team player. And then Ferrari... It was fine. But then he was very kind of drab with McLaren and didn't get a very good reputation. He's a very negative person at that team. But he's come back with like a new perspective on life, it seems. 
Yeah. I did also kind of wonder if, because when he went back to McLaren, they were a team in decline. Whereas since Renault came back, they're now Alpine. They have been getting steadily better each year. Yeah. So I wonder if some of it's to do with like the environment he's in, and he just knows that the car will eventually have more capability. But um, yeah, it was one hundred percent a team victory, and like the way the two of them at the end having a big hug yeah. and Alonso was picking off Connor, that was really nice to see. And like he has been getting better every race. Yeah. So who knows what he can do after the summer break? I mean, those are scenes that like we haven't seen in Formula One in a long time. Like, two teammates genuinely happy with each other. Yeah. Like, we might have had a glimpse of it if uh, Sainz and Lando ever got on a podium together. That's never going to happen now. Like, they'd done that and it wasn't as happy as maybe it could have been. But it was just just wholesome. We don't get many wholesome moments in Formula One like that. Yeah. Wholesome is definitely the way to describe it. I would agree. So... While Lewis was being held up by Alonso to protect Ocon's lead, Ocon himself was having to do quite a lot of defending from four-time world champion Sebastian Vettel. Uh, And I thought their race, while it wasn't quite as close as uh, Fernando and Lewis were, Ocon was being a very consistent, confident defender, kind of always knew where to have his car. And when yeah. there was that little wobble where he got held up behind, I think it was Kimi Raikkonen in the yep. Alpha. Uh, he still put his car exactly where it needed to be, held on to the lead, walked off with the win. Shame for Aston Martin, because I think they probably did have the faster car. Mm. And at the end of the day, like looking back with hindsight, following Ocon for so long is probably what the problem has been with their fuel. Mm. Being at the front and being able to have, like, you know, it's cleaner air. So Ocon is going faster than he would be if they're in the middle of the pack. Therefore, Vettel's going faster than he might have been if he was lapping in the middle of the pack. But he's stuck behind Ocon the entire time, using more fuel to, to kind of keep in that window. Mm-hmm. It's probably where they had that miscalculation. Yeah. Yeah, that is uh, a good point. Because when Seb did cross the line in second, he was obviously very annoyed to not have taken the win but he was ordered pretty much straight away to pull his car over so that he had enough fuel in and the stewards have said there's only 300 mils instead of a litre whereas the team are saying there's still a litre and a half in it yeah so they are saying that the reason they pulled the car over was because there was a fuel pump issue so it's not that there wasn't they think there's, a, yeah, like you said, a litre and a half of fuel left in the car, just not in the fuel tank that the FIA, FIA take the fuel from. Mm-hmm. So their appeal is based on that 300 millilitres of fuel being legal, first of all, and them being able to prove, which what Marcef now says they're able to do, that there is a litre and a half in the car, just not in the fuel tank. So it's like in the pipes somewhere? Yeah, because basically it wasn't pulling through in the right way. I, I don't know how to... I, I'm you know not... As you may have noticed from 21 episodes of this podcast, I'm not the most technically <laughs> gifted F1 fan. Um, 
but yeah, that's the latest line, and I imagine it's going to take like three weeks to resolve because everyone's going away on holiday. Yeah, I think it will literally be a, a matter of taking the car apart and trying to rinse everything out of it. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, but until then, Seb is still second place on the official results on the Formula One website. I know there's been a bit of like confusion when originally it said he was disqualified and then he was back in second. But for the sake of this podcast, Seb is still in second, which meant that Lewis came home third and the rest of the top 10 was Sainz, Alonso, Gasly, Sonoda, Nicholas Latifi, George Russell, Max Verstappen, Kimi Raikkonen. Incredible. Yeah. Absolutely insane. So, a hypothetical for you. Well, it's not hypothetical. It's probably going to happen. Silver lining to Seb getting disqualified is that Williams move into not only a double points finish, but double figure points. Yeah, they could potentially walk home with 10 points, isn't it? Which <sighs> surely tough. secures them eighth in the standings this year. I will, I will tell you one thing, Owen. Do not be sure of anything going into the second half of the season because it's been no. absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, George Russell was second place in this race at one point. Like I know. Let's Nicholas not rule anything was third out. third at one point, wasn't he, as well? Oh, my God. I can't believe it happened. It's really yeah. sad now because like, I, I can't go back and watch it again without knowing what happens. There's nothing like the thrill yeah. of watching a race like this and being like completely in the dark about how it's going to end. Yeah, being shocked by all the twists and turns. Yeah. But after three three years, how how did you feel seeing George score his first points for Williams? Yeah, it was it was lovely. I it's, it was lovely. It's been a long time coming, mm-hmm. and it. Uh, I'm very happy for him and very happy for the team, obviously. Like, in these crazy races, you've just got to put your car in, you know, as high up the field as you can. But it would have meant more if he got it in Austria. It's strange that this is the only race this year where he's not made it through to Q2. Yep. And it's also <laughs> the one where he scores points. Yeah. That seems a bit weird. But, like, he was, um, he, he is so well in the Austrian races and he was running in the points against all the cars that got knocked out in the first lap crash. So even with the McLarens there, the all the Ferraris there, the Red Bulls at full pace, he was still in the points. So it's nice and it's great. I think it's great that Latifi got some as well. Like, you know, he did a good race. Yeah. It's strange though, when we look back at like what we thought of the year ahead, we said Williams need a crazy race to score points. And now they've had a crazy race and scored points. And you're like, yeah, but I wish they'd done it in a normal race. <laughs> <laughs> Wishes and predictions are different. Yeah, <laughs> I know what you mean, but um, no, it was it was nice. I'm, yeah, I'm dead happy for him. And to see the the clip going around of him being interviewed, where he like wells up and gets quite emotional. Yeah, to see how much it means to him is really nice. Like, like we mentioned with Alonso and Ocon. This is like the first race in a while we've seen drivers be like really touched by the result. Yeah. Most of the times it's quite like formulaic. Yes. So 
big and fan of crazy Hungarian racers. Equally. We should have more of them. It was great seeing Lewis talk so much about Esteban, because obviously Esteban was a reserve driver at Mercedes, so they probably know each other. And Lewis put a lot of energy into congratulating Esteban and making sure that he was saying, like, this was a long time coming, he's a great driver. He wouldn't have put those two necessarily down as, like, best of friends. So that was, like, a nice surprise. And again, comes back to that word again. It was pretty wholesome. Yeah. It was crazy, but wholesome would be my... Yeah review of the race Friday formula certified that I agree yeah. is that how you describe our podcasts crazy and wholesome I don't think we're particularly crazy or wholesome so a race as crazy as the Hungarian Grand Prix I don't know how we're going to manage to sum this up in a sentence per team but we're going to because it's tradition uh and we're going to go in championship order, as always. And Owen is starting this week. We're summing up Mercedes race in one sentence. I've said, bowling Bottas bashes back Bull's lead. Second place in the championship is Red Bull. Like a bull to a rag, a Mercedes takes out Max and Sergio. Third position in the driver's championship, then, is Ferrari. I've said, Charles comes a cropper while Carlos chases third. Currently level on points is our next team, McLaren. Who I've just said who were innocent victims in the first lap massacre. In fifth place, we have Grand Prix winners, Alpine. And in a reworked, slightly reworked regular sentence, teamwork made Esteban's dream work. Just behind Alpine is Alpha Towering. I put nowhere to be seen in a race where they could have picked up a podium place. After Alpha Tauri, we have Aston Martin. I've said Stroll's shortcomings can't outshine Seb's second place stunner. If you ever like get a lisp, you're screwed. I know, so many <laughs> of my sentences are all S's. And I can't believe I'm going to say this. But in eight place we come to williams i've struggled with this one so this is my best work yes <laughs> other end of the scale we go to alfa romeo yeah and after a shocking weekend i've said seats need refreshing after both drivers aren't impressing which means finally we have Has F1 team, how do you describe their weekend? I've just put Valiant Schumacher struts his stuff. So that's our thoughts on the 2021 Hungarian Grand Prix. What did you think of the race? We would love to hear your thoughts on all the action. You can get on touch with us on Twitter. You can contact the show at Friday Formula or each of us individually. I'm at Owen underscore Bellwood and Will, you are at Will Longman. If you would like to watch a slightly condensed version of this podcast we do run a slightly more edited show on youtube uh, just search friday formula on there and you'll be able to find our whole back catalogue of videos for you to relive all the action of the season so far we won't be here next week but we'll be back in two weeks time with another episode so until then don't forget to rate review and subscribe wherever you're listening 
and we'll be back to fill your brains with motorsport chatter soon. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Thank you.